Hey, welcome to this episode of the More Than Code podcast. I'm really excited to have my good friend and co-host of the PHP Town Hall podcast on with me today, Matthew Trask. How's it going, Matt? Hey, I'm good. How are you doing? Good, man. You uh, getting ready for Christmas? Is there Christmas music blaring? I mean, I guess because it's 2020, I'm having the hardest time getting into the whole Christmas spirit. Like, I remember last year we went to like, there's a, a guy, a band, uh, JD McPherson. They did like a whole Christmas, like bluesy rock concert, and it was just perfect. And uh, I mean, there's nothing this year. So I'm like, I'm struggling to be in a Christmas mood. Wow. I'm sad. That's pretty sad because you're usually like, you know, Labor Day rolls around and you start the Christmas music. I started in like July this year because it's 2020. Like, well, you know, the rules don't matter. But um, even like going out to Target, just, you know, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's 2020. I'm sure like once Christmas gets there, it'll be cool. But even Christmas music can't bring me to the mood. Man. All right. So tell us a bit about yourself for those who don't know you. Where did you grow up? Yeah, uh, so I grew up in Atlanta, and I call Atlanta home, but I was actually born in Germany um, in a little town called Fulda, which um, back when I was born, there's East and West Germany. And uh, so Fulda was in the West Side. It was an American military base. And some dude, like back when I was working in a restaurant, and I had like that city on my name tag or whatever. He told me about there's a mountain range that runs north to south in Germany. And in this town of Fulda, it's called the Fulda Gap. And had anything happened, that was like the place tanks from either side would have rushed through. So, like, we were on like a pretty like busy, popular army base for the first couple of years of my life, and then jumped around to Kentucky, Atlanta, and now I'm in Nashville. But I call Atlanta home for all intents and purposes. Nice. What brought you to Nashville? Uh, well, I mean, a company by way of Shop Woodcock, who you know old 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 friend of php town hall and old php community member um i was working at a startup with him living in atlanta uh, working remotely back about four or five years ago and then when that startup failed he did his best to find us find all four of us or five of us jobs and it just so happened that the place that wanted to hire me was in nashville and they needed me to move to nashville um and I really didn't have anything going on. I wasn't really like, I don't, you know, I don't have a family or anything like that. So packed up, moved up here, and uh, it's been that way now for five-ish years. Do you plan to stay in Nashville? That's a conversation uh, my girlfriend Kieran and I have almost like maybe once a month or so. We don't really know. Um, my family's in Atlanta and South Carolina, my immediate family. Um, whereas her family is mostly on the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. and so, like, nothing's really tying us to Nashville. Her job is here, but she's obviously been doing it remotely for the last eight, nine, ten months, however long it's been, and has run into no problems whatsoever. Um, so, like, we've thrown out, like, moving to um, Minneapolis, the Twin Cities. So that puts us within, like, a two-ish hour car ride to um, her family. Moving back to Atlanta, which puts us right around my family. Um, and Atlanta, like... Right. Do what? Still a two-hour car ride. I mean, yeah, it is, and that's perfect. Like, I'm just close enough that, like, I can see my family if I wanted to. But it is such a pain to drive in Atlanta that, yeah, it's it's a perfect barrier to, to that. So, I mean, like, we thrown out of Atlanta because, like, her, 
what she does from work, there's a lot of opportunities down there too. So we don't know, but like we're we're here until at least um, August of 2021. So we'll have to make a decision at some point. So I'm interrupting you from hitting your mileage goal. Tell us what the goal is and uh, how you're progressing. I mean, you're not really interrupting me. Like I didn't start and then stop or anything, but uh, my mileage goal this year was 2,500 miles um, cycling. And I decided that if, if I reach that goal, the possibility of getting a new bike um, can be realized. Like I don't need a new bike, but like my bike is, you know, it's got like 6,000 miles on it. It's, it's a good bike, but it'd be nice to have like a bike just to kind of hop on and ride around. And then like one to do like the whole shoes, gadgets, that kind of thing. I'm sitting at 2314, 2314 miles. Um, and we figured out that if I do 14 miles a day through the end of the year, I'll hit the goal. So it's a Friday before Christmas, not a lot going on, kind of quiet. So I figured I would hop on and do it now instead of later tonight. Good plan. Are you more the road biker? Do you ride at home? Any of that? So, I mean, like at home, I have like that smart trainer and I can do a program called Zwift, which is um, it's, it's like a virtual reality world that like with the trainer and Bluetooth, it acts like I'm riding on the road. But like during the summer and when it's not 38 degrees outside, um, I'm usually out on the road somewhere. The mountain bike scares me. Like I know like Eric Barnes and some other people do mountain biking and it's super cool, but I'm I'm afraid that like one jump and I would break my neck or something i'd rather like take a risk just getting hit by a car versus making a bad jump i don't know which one's actually like more like actually getting hit by a car is way more likely to happen but i also figure if i get hit by a car an ambulance can get to me really fast kind of thing i i don't know if that like works out logically but in my head it makes perfect sense Feels like the car might hurt a little more too though yeah probably yeah <sighs> Yeah. There's like there's a thing in Nevada. Some dude was driving a truck and he was high on meth and he ran into a group of cyclists and killed like eight of them and injured another five. And I was just like, well, that could totally happen, you know. But it's also yeah, I mean, Nashville is cool in that we have a ton of greenways that are very loosely connected. So I don't, I have like a little bit of road to ride on, and then I can hop on a greenway, and then barring someone just being really dumb and getting their car onto the greenway, which does happen um, for like maintenance and things like that. But like barring someone just being dumb and driving their car down the greenway, I can be remotely safe. Good point. All right. So tell us a bit, what got you into tech? Man, I got into tech because I needed health insurance. And I'm just going to be super honest. Like I, I have a condition called congenital, congenital adrenal hyperplasia. And I've had it since I was born. And um, in order to stay alive, I have to take steroids daily. And so um, before I was doing tech, I was, I was trying to make it as a musician. I went to music school. I was teaching guitar lessons at a few different places in Atlanta. And I was bartending on the side just to make extra, like more consistent money because like teaching guitar lessons during the school year is super cool because um, People are reliable and they'll show up with their kids and all that. But then like once summer comes, you know, kids go on vacation, they do camps, they become less reliable. And 
Um, so like the money, the income stream kind of dries up that way. So I'd bartend and then it just got to the point where like my doctor was, he wasn't yelling at me. He wasn't mad at me, but he was kind of just like, look, you know, I mean, you need health insurance for a lot of reasons, but also I can't order the full panel of blood tests that we need done because you can't afford to pay for all of them. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, it seems like a legitimate thing. And, um, like I was sitting in between guitar lessons one day, just kind of surfing the internet and I stumbled on a Reddit thread and it was like, what jobs can you do from home that you don't need a college degree for? And someone posted and they said, my partner and I both work from home. We're both programmers and we both make like, I think it was like more than $90,000 six years ago or something like that. And I was just kind of like, oh, okay. That seems kind of cool. And I Googled around a little bit, found uh, Code Academy. Um, and just started learning the basics of HTML and CSS. And a friend who does networking for a hospital down in Atlanta um, told me about a thing called Team Treehouse, where it was all like video content and stuff like that. And so it just was like a rabbit hole. And I just kind of fell face first into figuring it out. Um, and I mean, that's, you know, from there, just like HTML, CSS, JavaScript, and then it dumped PHP on my lap. And I was like, well, okay. I mean, I don't know what PHP is. Seems cool. Like I can build a cart with it. That's kind of fun. And then, you know, I mean, from there, just kept opening door after door after door. until I found my first job on Craigslist, which was not the way to do it. Tell us about that. That seems like a, a nice way to get murdered or something. You know, I thought I was going to get murdered. No, it was like, I mean, it was, it was before the time where like everyone built a job board to like prove their tech chops or um, test out a, you know, different framework or something like that. Um, and also because when i was doing this i was not at all plugged into the tech community so i had no idea like what is a good tech job what is not a good tech job where can i find good tech jobs how do i vet tech jobs things like that and so i just found this job it was um like a 45 minute to an hour commute from where i lived in atlanta they paid me like twenty-seven thousand dollars or something like that and basically i was just like a data entry person um it was a .NET job it was like all the websites were powered by some cms called .NET nuke which wasn't really all that good it was it was really weird to work with and then um you know after eight or nine months or so i found like a tech internship program closer to where i lived in atlanta and it was they weren't going to pay me but it was free to go to and they were doing the lamp stack and i was like okay i mean this seems like a positive step forward um, because it was more of a, or at least what I thought it was, it was at least seemed like a more educational program. So I took, you know, I mean, I just, I went back to the bar that I was working at. I was working one nights doing this internship in the mornings to make money and things like that. And um, through them, through that program, I met like Atlanta PHP, Chris Sprock. Um, and from there, that's from that program was when I got into like my first, I guess, real tech job working at a uh, company in Atlanta. And then from there, uh, I met Jacques and the rest is history, I guess. That's cool. I actually got my first full-time programming job on Craigslist too. So, um, and you didn't get murdered. You know, some, like, yeah. you didn't get murdered. Yeah, I started out as like an IT generalist, right? Because, you know, I lived in Alabama and there's not like a ton of tech jobs there. And so it'd be yeah. like, you know, I fix computers and servers and printers, and I also program the internet or something like that, right? It was very generous. 
had a couple jobs like that. And then I got a job off Craigslist that was just full time programming all day, every day. And uh, yeah, kind of changed the course there. Because before that, I wasn't sure. Do I want to do programming? Do I want to do networking? Wasn't sure yeah. which you know I wanted to do. I mean, like Craigslist gets a bad rap, but without that first tech job, you know, I don't know where I'd be today. Like, I don't know how plugged in I'd be to the communities I'm into. Like, and you know, because of that, like, I don't know if I would have ever met you or Phil or anyone else. You know, so, for all it is, you know, I mean, I'm pretty thankful I got that first job because it, it definitely. It definitely got my foot into the door and like i'll go to the national software school and speak every so often and um i always tell them like your first job is probably gonna suck like it's probably not gonna be like the the glamorous facebook esque where like you have a chef to cook you breakfast lunch and dinner and like nap pods and the latest and greatest of like macbooks and things like that but i mean it's all about getting your foot into the door and plugging into the communities, like get that first paycheck and that experience. And after that, you know, it's all almost downhill depending on like who you are and what you've done. Yeah. All right. So you've had a good career now thinking back on it. What is the project you're most proud of? Project I'm most proud of is like all the community work I've done because code's going to get rewritten at some point in all these projects I've worked on. Um, like I at my fur at the job I came to Nashville for, my sole project was building an applicant tracking system, which was super cool. And I learned so much um both about the framework we use, which is Laravel, but then also uh, we use Vue.js and I learned tons about that. And so it was really cool to um struggle my way through that project. But I'm sure at this point, like my commits have been rewritten and overdone by people who are there now. But like, you know. In 10, 15 years, you know, I think the efforts I put into the community, the all that stuff is still going to be around and people are still going to remember my name. Great answer. All right. The most important question, Star Wars or Star Trek? Okay, Star Wars. Done. Like, no question. I mean, Star Trek's cool. Like, I know, like, there's some hate for, like, the newer movies, but I think they're kind of fun to watch. But uh, I've always just been a Star Wars junkie. Just like injected straight into my veins. Just, oh, I watched the the latest Mandalorian episode this morning before. So we have an eight o'clock meeting every Friday. Um, partly because the other team, one of the other teams on a meeting is from Belarus. So like it's the end of their day, sort of our day, kind of like wraps up the week. And so I wake up at like six thirty to do everything I need to do in the morning. Then I have an hour to watch the latest episode before I go into that meeting. Yeah. I like it. Priorities. No, dude, totally. Like, and like Twitter kind of spoiled the episode for me this morning. And it's still kind of ruined just like how great the episode was. I was like, I don't care. Okay. You know, Twitter's just going to be Twitter. We're all adapting to uh, 2020, right? Uh, I know you work remotely, but a lot of people are just pretty new to this. Tell us a bit about your experience working remotely. What's your setup at home? You know, screens, keyboards, things like that. Get a little nerdy with it. Yeah, I mean, so I was working remotely from August of last year till now. Um, but it's funny, like, because when I tell people that, like, I went to the dentist the other day and she's like, oh, you know, how are you coping? I'm like, well, I was already remote before all this happened. So, like, working from home wasn't hard. But, like, my my ways of getting away from work were um, going out with friends and going out to dinner, going out to, like, not to sound like an alcoholic, but, like, going out to, like, a happy hour with friends and 
kind of just hanging out for a little bit or even just like wandering around like at Target was like socially stimulating for me to like just in a way it's like even that like not really having that's been really hard um my setup so i have a jarvis standing desk that um the company i worked at before my current company they laid us all off and then they sold the assets in the office and they were going to give like we had we all had like these awesome standing desks and so my uh, old co-worker cody threw one in his truck and then drove it over so that's really nice to have because being able to stand up at certain times um, was is pretty awesome. Um, let's see, I'm on a what Mac? I'm on a MacBook Pro. This is the 2019 edition, so I'm not on. I still have like the butterfly keys that everyone hates that I don't really get the hate for, but you know they're fine. And then it's not the M1, although I am looking to get one of those. Um, Keyboard wise, do what? It's not. Have they solved the Docker issues on the M1 yet? I thought they have, but I don't know. That's probably like the main holder, like holdout for me. Well, so I so um like this year I got the the newest Apple Watch and the newest like iPad Air or whatever, and so I traded in my old ones, and so I have like three hundred dollars in Apple credit. So I was like, I might just buy one of those Mac Mini M ones just to see how it is, but they're not delivering them into like. Neither of the Apple stores in my area have them, apparently, so I can't just, like, roll up and get one. Um, and, like, the quickest they can get them to me is January 6th, which is pointless because if I really wanted to, I could just drive to Atlanta, pick it up in Atlanta, and drive home in one day and have my M1 Mac Mini. So I get like that, right? Like, oh, I really want this thing. I can't get it for a week. Never mind. It's dead to me. Yeah, pretty much. Like, I could totally buy it, have my dad go pick it up, ship it to me, and I would still get it quicker than Apple was going to get it to me. Um, so I keep refreshing the site, thinking that their supply chain issues are going to be fixed, and it's going to be like, oh, we'll get it to you tomorrow. And instead, it just keeps adding days, which is like the wrong direction. I wanted to get closer. Um, but let's see, keyboard-wise, I have one of those uh, Keychron K2 mechanical keyboards. I think I have red switches in them. I'm not nerdy enough to know the difference between the color switches. I just know that I have reds and they're loud. And um, my boss hates it, like, because we'll screen share and I'll be typing. And he's like, I can hear your keyboard. And um, it, it brings me great joy that it annoys him, which is terrible because I like having my job. So don't fire me, please. And then let's see, I have a LG monitor. I just walked into Best Buy and bought one. It's, Nothing amazing. Then the last big thing that I use is these headphones, which is the um, Sony WHCH700Ns. They're semi-noise canceling. They're not the greatest, um, but they get the job done. And that's all I can really ask for. Um, and that's really like the work stuff. So you're probably one of the biggest advocates for personal finance in tech, or at least in our little circle of tech that I'm aware of. What got you into financial independence and finance in general? Oh, man, that's a good question. Um, I forget how I got... Well, I got into it mostly because... Well, my parents aren't going to listen to this. I, don't um, I got into it because my parents did a terrible job of arming me with knowledge of um how like basic financial principles um i remember um i remember they had me open an ira 
and they're just like, you need an IRA. And to my like, to my credit or my detriment, I'm, you can look at it either way. I didn't know what an IRA was, so I didn't know to stop and say, what is an IRA? I just kind of assumed that's something every adult has, and I got to have one, so let's just do it. I had no idea like what was the advantages of having an IRA. How does it work? Are there limits? Are there? I, I had no idea. I just had an IRA, and then funny enough, because teaching guitar lessons was like me being a 1099 employee. Um, I ended up having to cash out my IRA back then because I had to pay taxes and I wasn't making enough and it was, it was bad. Um, and so then once I started getting, like once I saw my salary just exponentially increasing from where it was a year prior and all this kind of stuff, I was kind of like, how, how, do, how do people manage their money? I have no idea. And I found an article um, from Mr. Money Mustache. Um, and it was, I think he was, I think it was like the shockingly simple math to retiring early and nothing about it. Like, like nothing about it, like was amazing to me in terms of like, I switched my entire lifestyle that very minute, but like it, it definitely pushed me down the hill of like, how it, like, what is my money actually doing? Where is it going? And where should it be going? Um, obviously back then it was going to credit card payments because I was dumb and it was not sitting in high interest. Uh, savings accounts, which is where it should have been. And so from there, I, uh, like everything else I do, I stumbled on the financial independence subreddit and just started kind of gleaning information from there. And just from there, it's just, it's, it's just become a snowball. Um, and it's one of those things where like, I look back at my high school, um, my four years in American high school and um, like I learned German, I learned Spanish, I learned how to do like video production and I learned statistics and algebra and outside of talking to like Sebastian Bergman and a few of the other Germans that I know and being able to swear in Spanish, I have yet to use like any of that information. But like what I really wish I had was like a course in financial independence or not financial independence, but financial education. Like, I mean, obviously like you have your checking account, your savings account, but then like, what is a money market account is something no one ever really told me about what is an IRA? What is a 401k? Like, how can you use those in tandem to um, take advantage of like tax sheltering and things like that? What are stocks? What are equities? What are, I mean, not like options, puts, calls and things like that. That's a little advanced for a high schooler, but at least like knowing like, you know, like you're about to get a job at some point and you're probably gonna get a 401k. Like, what are the advantages of that? And so like not knowing any of that, like I, it just became a mission of mine to just learn as much as possible um, and make up for it. And I just kind of like what I did with programming. I just um, found the entry point, which was another podcast called Listen Money Matters. And they, I mean, they cover everything from like basic investing, uh, real estate. And then they did like interviews with people like Mr. Money Mustache. Uh, they did an interview with the founder of Betterment, things like that, just kind of break up the content. And I just kind of sink in programming, just anything I could get my hands on to learn, to read, I did. Um, and now, like, it's been so beneficial to me that it's like, I can't hoard this information to myself. Like, other people need to know this. And so I am, I'm not the best person to talk about it, but I at least want that conversation to be started and let other people kind of hopefully do what I did, which is learn enough to get curious and then fall down that rabbit hole and hopefully become um, 
at least somewhat financially literate. Uh, I think that's a great goal, getting people more interested in personal finance. We were talking about a tweet earlier this week where someone said we should really have a some kind of intro course to personal finance when people come into tech. And I really wish I would have had that, right? Like, I don't feel like I had a bad financial education growing up, but I um, I didn't have a good one either, right? Like, I especially didn't know the details. You know, I know you should save. I know you should invest. No idea what, like the details of that actually meant. Um, and for a long time, I just kind of blew what I made, right? And I was making six figures and still living paycheck to paycheck, which is kind of sad. It's amazing how many people, like not, and it's not just limited to tech, obviously, but like, I think tech has really shown a light on this problem because so many people, I mean, go from like my situation where like you're bartending, making just enough to get by and like, take maybe a vacation a year or something like that to making high five low to mid six figures and you have no idea like what to do with that and yeah i mean like the other problem that comes with that is people will leave all their money in like their checking account too or their savings account where you're getting like 0.01 percent interest or something like that instead of moving it to like an IRA or even like just like a high yield savings account, you know, like the amount of people who don't even know that kind of stuff is amazing, but just, you know, so many people come into tech with little financial information, get that six figure salary, but then wonder like, why are you living paycheck to paycheck, hoping that they're going to get that million dollar buyout, you know, instead of setting themselves up for success. That was a real problem, I think, when I first got into tech too, right? So there were so many stories of like, oh, you know, four years after getting into tech, my startup got bought, now I'm a millionaire, right? And so I just kind of assumed that was going to be the path for everyone in tech. And then I thought, mm-hmm. like, it's like, you know, maybe that's not the best way to plan for your future. <laughs> and like, you know, most of us were making enough money that we could we could set ourselves up for success either way, right? If you win the start lottery, sure. But if you don't, you can still be successful. Yeah, I mean, with the right moves, um, managing your money, like you don't need to have the startup Cinderella story where you know you work for four, like you work for four years and walk out a you know two and a half, three million dollar success story. You know, you just need to know, like, I mean, I I hate to sound like patronizing in a way, but like you seem to know the basics of like buy index funds and just keep shoving money in there don't touch them um take advantage of the 401k and the iras that are offered and as long as you can live below your means and not have to buy a new tesla every single year to keep up with you know the change and all that stuff like you'll be okay it, it, it'll it'll work out for you much much less stress that way as well it really is you know i mean like i'm like some i'm adjacent to some of the indie hacker circles where like I'm watching some people like scale a a one person micro SaaS and then they sell it for a couple thousand to you know somewhere in like the five figures and I'm like you know that'd be really cool to do because that would obviously accelerate my financial plans but then I'm also weighing the the downsides which is well I have a full time job on top of trying to build a product eventually do customer support and things like that like is is that payoff worth it versus just staying the course I'm on investing and just living below my means. It's, it's a trade-off that 
there's no right answer for anybody. But, you know, I, I think like tech has also glamorized the whole um, startup Cinderella story or the one person SaaS success story to a point where too many people are will like willing to go down that path without thinking what are the downsides to that. And I think that's something that needs to be talked about a lot more um, on whatever media sources are out there. Yeah, it's one thing I wouldn't say I regret, but it's something I would probably do differently is just all the time and energy I put into side projects or side gigs or whatever over the years because I mean, for years, I probably didn't work less than a 60 hour week, maybe 80 hour week to count in everything, right? Podcasts yeah. and, and all that. And in hindsight, you know, some of that stuff pay off and it's, it's nice to have like a little more financial security now, but was like trading my 20s worth it for 5% more money? Probably not. That's, yeah, I mean, that's the question that I think a lot of people kind of need to ask themselves. And I mean, that also kind of segues into also the whole mental health aspect of the, what the tech industry has kind of turned into. But, you know, I mean, I wonder how many people are going to get to their 40s and their 50s and they're going to be burned out and tired, but not anywhere near where they need to be retirement wise because they were chasing, you know, pathway A instead of doing pathway B, which is like just a invest and live below your means path. Yeah. And I'm not like quite advocating for people not to work hard. Right. I just think you should probably be realistic with where your effort has the most ROI. Right. So like you can probably increase your income more by just focusing on your career and your next kind of job bump and things like that than you'll make on a side project. And yeah, some people like lend a lot of with that, but not most. So I think it's about being smart with that. You know, I don't, I'm not an advocate for working a ton over time, but you know, I'm realistic in that all the time I put into this career is part of why it's worked out so well. Right. So I think you just have to really be honest with yourself on where your time is best used and what you enjoy. Oh, definitely. And like, I don't want to not advocate for the indie hacker one person SaaS thing. I mean, that a lot of really cool products that have changed lives have come out of that camp. But like you said, you know, I mean, it, I think a lot of people would do really well if before they when they come to that fork in the road, you know, really sit down and crunch numbers and say, you know, It'll be less stressful for me to just figure out how to increase my income through, you know, working really well at your current job, job hopping a little bit, not buying a new car every single year, you know, that kind of stuff versus the 60 to the 80 hours a week, you know, on top of your day job, on top of trying to raise a family, on top of all the other stressors that life wants to throw your way. Totally agree. So what will be your next job after tech? Oh, we've talked about, Kieran has, I mean, both of us love coffee. How how would be fun to like open up a bike coffee shop somewhere where like, because like, it, it's a kind of like a meme at this point where like if you go on a big group ride, you always, the route you pick has a coffee shop somewhere so you can stop kind of rest for a little minute, kind of socialize. Yeah, I mean, when you're climbing up like a, a thousand foot hill, it's kind of hard to talk while you're also trying to labor your way up like a 5% gradient. Um, but so it'd be really fun to have like a bike shop, coffee shop meld where like 
cyclists can come in, stop for coffee. If they need to buy tubes or parts or things like that, they can do it all in one fell swoop. That'd be really fun. Um, but I mean, like if, if I could, if money didn't matter to me, like finding out a way to be like a photographer in a national park system would be like my absolute dream job, I think. So that's a cool job. Do they actually employ people full time for that or is it more like a freelance thing? I have I I you know I have no idea. Um I I think it's probably more on the freelance side, but even still, like finding figuring out a way to get paid to go to national parks and take pictures would be my ultimate like dream job, I think. Because it's it's like you get to see some of the most beautiful places on the face of the earth. Um you get to be away from a computer, which is kind of a dream of mine at this point in my life. And it still has like a creative aspect to it because like the whole composition of photography, you know what I mean? Like the most famous picture out there of like the national parks is a Ansel Adams tunnel view of Yosemite and the way like it's shooting right down to Yosemite Valley and you can see uh, El Capitan, the three brothers, half dome. Um, and it's just like the way it's, the way that that photo is composed is just pure brilliance in my opinion. And I'll never, ever, ever come close to topping that. But like, just the thought of like trying to and being creative with like the angles is, I mean, you go on Instagram, you go on Twitter, you go on wherever, like there's so many photos of these things floating around, like in the Grand Tetons of Acadia and all that kind of stuff. But you know, like it makes you get creative with like how you look at different things too. So I think that's ultimately the job I would, I would leave tech for. Love it. All right. What is your favorite drink or cocktail? Um, for non-alcoholic purposes, black coffee is my go-to. Um, and then what? Like I just I drink water. Like I, I have like four or five of these like liter Nalgene bottles that I keep around, and I just rotate through them. Um, and it's it's so good. And like that was like one of the biggest hacks I figured out for conferencing was like I remember like the first few conferences I went to, I'd get so freaking tired from like especially like when I was young in my career, like trying to like meet people like you and Cal Evans and everyone else. And like trying to inject myself into the conversations. Like I'd roll in my hotel room at night and just be like, Oh man, I am dehydrated and tired. And I have no idea how I'm going to do this for two more days. And it's like, once I figured out like bring a water bottle to a conference, like it was a game changer. So um, huge advocate for that kind of stuff. Drink wise. I had a, a trip. Not like a, a, a physical trip, but just like a like a little bug where I was like I was obsessed with Negronis for a little while over the summer. I don't know why. They like it's gin and vermouth and um Campari, and it's not bad, but for some reason I was just like, I really want this drink and uh made it happen. But usually uh whiskey or bourbon, I'm not like overly picky on that kind of stuff, but either over ice on the rocks or um I have the stuff to make a Manhattan if I want to be fancy. I'm not really fancy. <laughs> so what led to you organizing a conference? How was that experience? And would you recommend it to others? Oh, God. What? Um, I think I want an excuse to bring 32 of like my favorite people to Nashville. And I was like, what's the best way I can do this? I was like, it's a conference. Um, and I think also... Part of it was like a starry-eyed ambition to like be able to say I organized the conference. And part of it was a way to give back because 
without conferences, my career would be nowhere near what it is today. And so I was like, if if I had if I've been so lucky with conferences, maybe if I organize one, it'll open a door for someone else to not follow my path, but like hopefully get luckier than I am. And so I figured, why not? It'll be a great idea. Um, and it was way more work than I anticipated. Um, I got scammed out of a Bitcoin. Uh, we both lost a couple thousand dollars all said and done. The rat race for trying to find sponsors was absolutely brutal. But And I definitely won't do it again. But I look back on that memory and it's it's one of my like proudest achievements. So like say I, I helped organize a PHP conference that for all intents and purposes was successful. Yeah, and I measure I, I measure success. Um like we had great feedback from the speakers from what I saw. Um every talk was well attended, which I thought was great thing because like every time you organize a, a conference there's always like at least in my opinion there's always one block of conference of talks where i'm like none of these appeal to me so i'm gonna go take a nap or sit in the hallway or do something else um but every time i looked in the room like every talk was really well attended um and we had no code of conduct violations which was like my biggest fear the entire thing but like i know a lot of people got to make new friends um create new connections business or personal and while I'll never, ever, ever, ever do it again, I absolutely am proud to say that I did do it at least once. It was a very great conference, so I'm glad you did it. I'll, I'll, I'll Venmo you for that compliment later. <laughs> what is uh, your approach to work-life balance? Uh, I don't know, because my work-life balance is terrible right now. Um, which is funny because I work for a company that is very big on work-life balance. Um, in fact, Jared, the CTO of the company who I, I work for, um, he and I are very close. Like we trade like thousands of Slack messages a week. Half of it is work-related. Half of it is just like fun blogs we find. And the other half is like, like we're both cyclists and we both watch like the pro cycling stuff. So like half of it is us like, Trading, cycling, and running tips and things like that. Um, he joked today when our meeting had absolutely nothing about us, like nothing related to like our part of the project. He's like, now would be a great time for you to hop on Zwift and knock out your 14 miles. And I was like, no, no, I should totally say for this meeting. Um, but like, yeah, it's it's really hard for me to make that switch. And I give Karen a lot of hard times about it because she'll stay up late working and stuff like that i'm like oh you should put your phone down don't do it don't do it and then i'm on slack like checking in on things overnight because we have employees in japan and pakistan and lebanon so you know like i want to make sure i'm like I'm, i want to make sure i can remove blockers for them um but like like they'll they'll tell me to like go ride my bike or something like that um and i'll use like slack statuses and tell people what i'm actually doing so like my current Slack status says I'm doing a podcast with my friend Ben, and then I'm getting on my bike, but I'm around if you need me, kind of thing. Um, and otherwise, you know, I mean, because like we're so at home these days, like I'm I'm within an arm's reach of a computer that I I will definitely work past the five o'clock um, mark of the day. But at the same time, with everything going on, like there will be an hour or two during the day where I don't actually do any work. And I might watch something on Netflix or like watch YouTube or something like that. So 
I really try and balance it up that way. Um, when the weather's nice, I will absolutely take my bike out and I'll have my phone with me. I have my watch so I can get Slack messages, but I definitely make it clear like I am on a bike and unless I can fix this from my phone, you just need to be patient. So um, I'm not really great in that regard because last week I did stop on this. I was on the side of a road on my phone in a server, like trying to fit an angle or something. So I'm not great in that regard, but um, like I, I know my limits and I know how far I can be pushed until I break. And my job is really good about it because they also know I'm a huge mental health advocate. So when I made an, uh, a request for having the week after Christmas and between New Year's off, and I was like, I need to fix my burnout. They're just like, done. Yes, no questions asked. Take time off. And they're going to kick me out of Slack for that week. So I can't even like log into Slack to like post into like our memes channel or anything like that. So I'm terrible at it, but my company is good enough that they kind of pull me along, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I've always thought of this as like work-life integration, right? Like I've never had great boundaries, kind of for the same reasons you described, right? Like I'll I'll jump on Slack or whatever in the middle of the night. Um yeah, and I think as long as you have that balance of like you could go ride your bike for an hour in the middle of the day if it was a nice day and no yeah. cares, right? No just trusting you that you'll make sure everything's okay. That's always been fine for me. Um although I will say at this job it was very much like an office environment. And so even that we went work from home, socks pretty much dead after five until the Berlin folks come in. And it's mm-hmm. been incredibly relaxing, mostly because there's nothing for me to reply to. And so I don't feel the need. I mean, that's, that's, I, I think your, your phrase of work-life integration, I think is a way better way of looking at it than work-life balance because I mean, and this is like the far left progressive of me coming out, like until we get like universal basic income and we start eating the rich and all this kind of stuff, like we're going to have five days, 40 hours of work that we have to accomplish in order to get our paychecks. Um, and there's, there is no real way to balance that. But like instead, like if you can find healthy integrations and finding a company that like respects your time after work, like. Jared will send me a Slack message at six o'clock at night. And if it's, if it's anything work related, he prefaces it with, this is not important. And so when I see the push notification on my phone or watch, I just see from Jared, this is not important. And then I know, okay, I have a message waiting for me. That's cool. He has told me it's not important. So I'm not really going to actually, I, I could look at it if I wanted to, but he's not expecting me to look at it. And so because of that, I can keep doing whatever it is I was doing. I might be cooking dinner. I might be um, cleaning. I might be reading a book, something else. Um, And so I think, like, it'd be really cool if we could start changing that conversation from work-life balance to how we integrate work into our lives, especially because, I mean, I don't, you know, even though Facebook and Twitter may or may not be going back to their offices, like, I think for a lot of us, this is a new normal working from home and it's going to take a lot of adjustment for a lot of people to figure out how to have healthy boundaries around work and their personal life now that work is in their kitchen or in their bedroom or in their another part of their house 
Yeah, that's a great point. And I think especially working from home, there's real cycles to kind of work in life, right? Like there's, there might be a couple of months to where you have a big project and you do need to work extra and that's fine, right? Like you're excited about it. You're making progress. That is not draining to work extra in those times. And there's times where like your life needs extra time and work has to give a little. As long as you really respect those cycles, I think you can avoid burnout. But when you, when you try to do both at once, it can be pretty hard. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, for instance, on, I think it was Wednesday night. Uh, so on one of our main projects, our database server is just like your standard EC2 instance with a My, with MySQL running. And that database has gotten huge and unwieldy, and it is incredibly slow, especially when it comes time for the company to run like billing reports, um, the application does resident management for apartments. And so like they have to run billing to get rent and all that stuff up and ready to go for the first of the month. And so they were noticing these massive timeouts. And so Wednesday night, we made the switch from the EC2 instance to RDS um, with both read and write connections, really nice stuff. And I mean, shout out to Laravel for making it so easy to do um, read and writes and stuff like that. But I mean, we're on from 6.30 till about, 9 30 or so at night working to make sure that not only did the data migration go smoothly but also all the reports look good um making sure there's nothing missing from the ui that was mission critical and then also benchmarking so uh we could get like you know some cool brownie points from the main company and so i was like yeah I'm, i stayed up late to work on that so now i know like if i take three or four extra hours today to ride my bike do a podcast, not work. No one, you know, they they know I've put in those hours. So they're they're fine with that trade-off. They respect my time because I gave them a little extra earlier in the week. I think that's that's probably the hardest part with older companies moving towards this whole new model as well, is trying to balance respect for the work and respect for the employee all in one go. Yeah, great point. All right. So related to this, I guess, what are you struggling with right now? I mean, uh, work-wise, so you know, this new project we're on is like all microservices, it's all Kubernetes. Wrapping my head around that is daunting to say the least because I'm not really an ops person. Like I understand Docker and I've used Docker, but this is like a, I mean, this is like the major leagues of ops and I'm playing like double A ball, if that makes sense. Like I'm, I'm, years behind the curve on all this so trying to understand not only that but like our particular setup has just been absolutely brutal because we have different environments for different like i'm i'm managing two different services i kind of by my well one by myself and one with jared um but like trying to remember which context i have to use to go into which environment and which namespace each one belongs to has just been absolutely brutal and it it is it has showed me how bad um my note taking is because this could have all been solved weeks ago if i just like took notes and like bare notes or something like that and i didn't and now i'm paying the price so it has definitely shown me that my note taking ability is terrible and it needs to be a lot better um and that's that's been like the biggest work problem like on a personal level like I've struggled with anxiety and depression pretty much all year to the point where I got a therapist and it was a game changer um, to just like my entire 
outlook on life, like just having someone to talk to is well worth actually the amount I pay him to listen to me complain for an hour about things is so much, so much higher worth than how much I actually pay him for a session. And I mean, like, I mean, we've unpacked all kinds of childhood trauma, teenage trauma, all this kind of stuff. But I mean, like just, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm still hanging out with it because part of the problem is Nashville loses sunlight at like 4.30 in the afternoon. And so it's like, I, I cannot describe just how brutal that is. Like, I know it's coming every single year because I've figured it out. And it's still jarring that like, I'll be working, I'll be working and I won't really notice it. And then like 4.30, I'm like, oh, okay, it's 4.30. I'm kind of done for the day. And I look outside and it's pitch black. And I'm like, what just happened? You know, so like dealing with all of that kind of adds to like the depression and anxiety and things like that. So, but I mean, I can't advocate it enough, like find someone to talk to because it makes that so, so much better. The time change really hit me harder this year than it ever has as well. I think probably because I just feel so stuck, right? Like, yeah, I really like go to the coffee shop and work and there's like, so less going on. So getting outside has been very important to me. And then you get outside and it's dark and cold and it just feels miserable. So I mean, like the time change hit me really hard because like you said, like being stuck inside, but also because we had such like a mild summer here in Nashville, instead of having like the usual three months of 100 degrees with the heat index like and not having and our because it was so mild this year our winters actually got really brutal so like i'm waking up to like temperatures in the 20s which for i'm sure a lot of people it's like oh yeah it's 20s and we're used to it but like here in nashville that's not a not something we're used to and so it being so bitterly cold has hit me really hard too because i mean we we talked about it last night like do we want to go pick something up for dinner or do we want to cook dinner? And I was like, it's so cold outside that I don't even want to walk to my car and wait the, however long it's going to take to warm up the heaters and all that kind of stuff. Um, so all that's added to just like my never ending struggle with like anxiety and depression. And it's, it's, you know, I mean, it's, it's brutal, but it, it's something that's worth talking about because if, if one person hears this, and acknowledges their own pro- their own issues, and they get the help that they need. Then, you know, I mean, that's that's worth the the price of being open, I guess. Definitely. So, what is your production function? What drives you to do what you do? You know, both at work and the side projects you do. And what makes kind of what makes your output or your work different than others? Um. At work, my you know, I, I guess a lot of it comes down from like I want to live up to the amount of trust and I guess expectations that I hold for myself, even though I know that like um like Jared and the rest of the team don't have as high of expectations for me. I just know that like I hold myself to a standard that's way higher than what is humanly possible. And I want to make sure I I work my work as hard as I can to to get there. Um in terms of like the podcasts that I do, both uh, PhD Town Hall, APIs You Won't Hate, um, doing things like openapi.tools, um, struggling with managing the league's fractal package. Um, that's, that is purely um, me just wanting to give back to the community that has given me so much. And, you know, like, I'll never ask for money from that stuff. I'll never, I won't say no to money, but I'm never going to, like, like, I'm not going to, like, 
push the whole sponsorship thing just because like other people giving conference talks, you getting me a ticket to like a conference that one time you did like four or five, six years ago that I don't even remember if you remember, but it's still it. Don't remember that at all. Oh my god. Okay, so we, we gotta talk about this because this is like a seminal moment in my life was um it was in Atlanta, I was at Connect Tech and um I didn't have a ticket to the, the first day, but I went to the, the after party and like Chris Brock was there, Ed Finkler was there, Larry uh, Garfield was there, and then like you and uh Yitz showed up kind of after the fact. And like Chris had gone home, Larry had gone back to his hotel, um Ed had gone back to his hotel, but you were still there and Yitz was still there. And it was like the first time I'd ever actually met you. And I remember like we were just I don't, I don't remember what we talked about. I just remember like we kept talking and talking and talking. Finally, it's like, you know, we all went our different ways. And the next day, you like DM me on Twitter and you're like, hey, man, like I talked to the organizer of this conference and there's a ticket with your name on it if you want it. And like that's always stuck out to me, like that you went to bat for me. Like you didn't know me. You didn't, you didn't know what I was going to do. I could have like gone into that conference and like start throwing shit, you know, you know, you know. And, um, and like it, it, that just like stuck out to me. And between like that and other people who have done other things for me behind the scenes to help me out, um, like I won't name names, but there was one person, um, Sunshine, two years ago, they bought my plane ticket for me. And they didn't have to buy my plane ticket. They didn't have to do anything, really. Um, but he had points and he bought me and he's like, hey, you know, here's the deal. You're going you're gonna to fly into, I think it's Fort Lauderdale, not Miami. So you're going to have to figure out how to get from Fort Lauderdale to Miami. Turns out it's super easy because they have a train. Um, and I was like, this is amazing. How can I ever pay you back? And he's like, you're not going to pay me back. You're going to pay it forward in some shape, form, or fashion. And that's just always been my my goal um, with like the podcast, with the open source work, with me offering to mentor people is, is just to somehow make, not make up, but like try and um uh meet the uh actions of other people who have given me so much. And so that's that's where the drive really comes from. And that's that's why I'm so willing to burn myself out in a way. Because I know like a conversation can change the world for somebody else. And even if I'm burned out, it's gonna mean a lot to them. And so I will I will figure it out. I will figure out how to hide that burnout for an hour or two so I can talk to this person. Or I will put um, a charge on my credit card that I know I shouldn't do all in the name of helping open a door for somebody else. Um, I know specific, like one of the latest examples was um, at at Southeast PHP. Somebody who was coming to the conference uh, wanted to... Um, sponsor a ticket for somebody and i remember i was trolling around on twitter and i saw this junior developer she was just getting started uh she won a free ticket to um i think midwest php and i was like you know you seem like a perfect candidate for this like going to two conferences in a year is remarkable for just about anybody who's not a speaker um but i really think it's going to open doors for you and she's like that's great um let me see if i can afford it and I remember the, the person who bought the ticket also said, I can't pay for all their travel expenses, but I'll at least like go in half season on like a hotel room or something. I was like, I'll cover the other half of your hotel room. I had no business paying for this expensive hotel room, but I knew it was absolutely worth it 
um, to this woman to come to this conference. And I saw firsthand, like, the, some of the connections she made with certain people. And I don't know how they panned out, but just the fact that she was able to make those connections was worth the however much money it was to cover her hotel room. So that's where like a lot of my drive comes. That's why like I'm willing to get on Slack after hours or well before the time I'm supposed to be on is because I want to make, you know, like if I can remove a blocker from one of my teammates or if I can open a door for somebody else, like ultimately that's, that's like my main goal. I love it. It's a great reason to be motivated. It's, it is. It's. It, it can be tiring at times, you know, and a little financially detrimental at times too. But I mean, I make enough money. I can pay off a six hundred dollar credit card in one fell swoop if I really wanted to. You know, like the person who I paid the hotel room for, or covered half of the hotel room for, that. You know, I mean, that six hundred dollars may have been her rent while she's trying to learn how to program. You know, it's it's worth it ultimately. Yeah. The point. What's the point, right? If you can't help people along the way. Yeah, I mean, so many people before me have been helped along the way, and they helped me along the way, and it's it's the ultimate form of giving back. You know, like it's not going to really cost you a whole lot of money to have a conversation with somebody for an hour. Um, if I may lose an hour of work, but like I said, my job is really cool about respecting my time, and I respect their time, and when I am working, I am working, and but you know, if I can have an hour-long conversation with somebody and jumpstart their career, that's well worth you know the hour of work I may lose. All right. Last question. What are some games, books, or podcasts you would recommend? I'm probably I mean, I'm the worst programmer because I'm not like the biggest gamer in the world. Um I play Civ five a lot only because it's a game I can play on my computer and I don't have to connect to the internet. So, like, and it, it's incredibly engrossing with the strategy and everything. So, like, I'm, I'm not going to set it and then go lose, like, an hour on the internet. Um, so, like, I mean, that's really, like, one of the only games I, I truly play. I still play Roller Coaster Tycoon on my iPad, which is, like, a throwback. Like, I remember going to my grandparents' house back when he had, like, a Windows 95 machine. And he had the old school Roller Coaster Tycoon. That was fun. Um, Podcast-wise, I mean... I don't know. Like, listen, Money Matters is a great podcast to listen to because it's it's it is it covers such a wide array of um, financial issues that even if you know a lot about finance, you're still going to learn something new. But if you don't really know a whole lot about personal finance, like you're gonna you're gonna crush this series and at least have a leg up on so many people. And then on top of that, too, uh, the other one that I really like is uh, the mad scientist. Um, and his whole claim is like, he spent years reading like all about the tax laws and tax loopholes, tax shelters, things like that. to really like finely tune an investment strategy that will cost you a significantly less amount of money than if you just wheel and deal like the majority of people are going to do. He is very sparse with his podcast. So but he has a really extensive backlog of like really good interviews, really good information. Um, so those are like the two biggest podcasts that I can recommend. I mean, the other ones are like How I Build This, which is super cool. But I think everyone kind of, a lot of people should know about that one. 
because it's like a NPR podcast and gets a lot of publicity. Um, and books wise, I'm listening to like five different books right now. It's really bad. Like I started like, um, I mean, not to get too political, but like I got this one book called it's called The Soul of America by John Meacham, and it, it talks about like, I mean, tech has a very liberal slant. I think a lot of people would look at like the current outlook of like things going on and just be like so just down about the current state of certain things and his book just really details like believe me this is not the worst it's ever been we fold out of worse and it's gonna be okay it's a really good book that way um and i think like the other like the biggest book that's had the biggest influence on me is how to win friends and influence people by dale carnegie um that one gets thrown out so often and so so ubiquitous to like leadership but i think like even not like even individual contributors and non-tech leaders can learn a lot from that kind of um information just like how to how to approach somebody when you have a problem like like a good one is like we uh like how to approach like a hotel who's not giving their money back right now because they obviously want the money to keep the lights on while we all kind of weather this storm but like yeah like his book gives you like the information like how can you approach the hotel with like maybe having the possibility of getting your money back and like different things like that like how to approach your boss and like say like hey that project is a total dumpster fire but it's going great and like how to how to blend like bad news and good news and compliments all all together i think those are those are two really good books i mean the other one is like psychology of money which we've talked about before by uh, Morgan Hansel, which is, or Housel, excuse me. Um, and he, it's really funny because like, his first story, I think, is like a tech story. Like the first story he talks about is like some guy who made it rich in tech and rolled up to like a restaurant where Morgan was a, a, a valet. And he was rolling up with like a new Porsche every month or something like that until finally like, the dude ran out of money. And I was like, well, that's a great way to start a book about psychology and finance. So. I think those are like the three books I look back on. I'm like, those are the ones that really kind of helped me through like such weird times. All right. Thanks so much for your time today, Matt. It's been great talking to you. Oh, dude, thank you for having me. I was like super honored to be included on this podcast. It's super cool.